If you would this morning turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Gospel of Luke and chapter 2. We again are in the season of Epiphany. So what that means is the revealing, uh, the appearing. So what it means for us as far as the Gospel is concerned is we move here... Uh, When Jesus appears, we move from darkness to light. We we move from not knowing who God is to clearly seeing who God is. Now, God gives us in the Old Testament the law to know who He is. But I'm saying as Gentiles, we don't have the law, remember? In the Old Testament, it's not given to the the Gentiles. It's not given to the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Cadians or Hittites or whoever-ites there are out there. Rather, it's given specifically to the Jews. And they are to be a light to the nations, but what we learn is that they're a dim light. But now the light of the world has come, Jesus, and so we move from darkness into His marvelous light. And this is what Epiphany celebrates. This is why the Magi are important. This is why last week we talked about... um, another scene from Jesus' life, and we're going to continue to talk about Jesus' life and these little vignettes. And so we're going to kind of back it up from what we, where we were last week, um, which is Him in the temple at 12. Now we're backing it up to where He's still just 40 days old. He, he's an infant. Um, and now, uh, this is really, as far as in Luke's sequence of events, this is right after um, the angels appear to the shepherds. So notice this. In verse 22 of chapter 2, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Him up to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, quote, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Which is from Leviticus. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord quote, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts 
from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your holy Word. Lord, would You reveal to us this morning the meaning of this text and apply it by Your Holy Spirit to our hearts and actions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the story of the presentation of Jesus in the temple. It's also called, uh, as far as a feast day, the encounter. Uh, Because here, Jesus encounters His own people for the first time. I mean, you know how it is when you first have a baby. You keep them withdrawn from everybody, right? You have the little baby. You're recovering as the mother. You know, the father's trying to get used to not sleeping and doing everything that he's told, right? Go get wipes. Go get this. Go get that. You know, you're all right, all right. I didn't do all that work that you did, so let's, let, me, let me compensate here. Which never compensates, but we try. And so you keep that baby behind closed doors. You know, you don't want him to get any kind of sickness, but, but you know, after, after six weeks, typically, they let him go and you just say, hey, you're, you're now free to go. Your baby's, you know... Looks like you're doing well, and, and you're now doing well. And so, 40 days was the time of purification for childbearing. We learned that from Leviticus. <laughs> um, Brad and I were speaking about Leviticus this morning, and it's a book where there's lots of law. And yet here, the holy parents, Mary and Joseph, are very concerned with fulfilling the law. Four times in the text, it tells us that they were doing this to fulfill the requirement of the law. Now, Mary and Joseph are examples to us as parents. If you're a parent, or going to be a parent, um, then you ought to take note of what is being done here. They were concerned with following God's law. God's regulations. It's really interesting, as I was preparing for this, uh, the question came to me, and it was quite shocking. As I, as I often tell you, you know, when I'm preaching up here, I'm really preaching to myself. You're overhearing what God has been dealing with me on for the past week. So, you know, this is kind of a, a second go-round for me, first go-round for you. If you get hurt by it, I got hurt by it first. <laughs> the question was this. Do I want Jackson, Baylor, Bo, and Ty to be like Jesus? You say, I would hope so. (laughs) Of course you do, Marshall. Of course you do. Of course I do. I mean, I want my kids to be, you would say, like Jesus. But upon further thought, do we really? 
Do we act like that? Do we teach like that? Do we spend our money like that? Do we set their priorities like that? Because what I see a lot of times is running around the ball fields, sports, dance, whatever, to fill their schedule. They're running from here to there, and Jesus is nowhere to be found in their day. We're trying to make them learn math and, and learn you know, science and reading it, but the Bible is no part of any of that. We say with our mouths that we would like them to be like Jesus. But in our actions, we oftentimes show that we don't. Now, you know that lesson can go for you adults as well, right? We, we say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I mean, if we were really to check our schedules, check our priorities, check our real values, I'm afraid the television trumps most of that. The internet trumps a lot of it. That's left over from TV. So my question would be, are we as concerned as Jesus' parents were about raising our children in the laws of God? In His regulations. Not in ours or what our country says, but in God's. Here... They joyed in doing what God said. And that's a hard thing. I'll just be honest with you. The psalmist really shocks us in chapter 119 of the Psalms, which is, by the way, the longest chapter in the Bible. If you're not familiar with that. It's really, really long. And if you want to know what that one longest chapter in the Bible deals with, it deals with God's law. Interestingly, he's a poet, so he's an artist. So what he does in 119 is he takes the Hebrew alphabet and he goes through A and he starts off his sentence with an A, with an A word, so to speak. Then he goes to B, C, all the way to Z, and each of the paragraphs in that psalm are dealing with the law of God and how he joys in his statutes, joys in God's regulations, his limits on his life. It makes him feel fulfilled. Now... Um, I don't always joy in God's restrictions upon me. No more than as a child, I enjoyed my dad's regulations and instructions. Fold the clothes. Wash the dishes. Stop saying that. Right? I didn't say, Awesome, Dad! I cannot wait to fold clothes! <laughs> Never happened for me. Maybe for you it was, but, but not for me. And yet, the psalmist shocks us and says, it is a joy to do what God says. Hmm. Now, either he's wrong or I'm wrong. (laughs) I'm going to go on the side of me. Uh, There's something in all of us that does not like to be told what to do or to have restrictions and regulations on our life. And yet... The Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, along with the psalmist, would say to us, it is a joy to do what God says. Is it a sacrifice? Yes. 
Was the trip to Jerusalem a sacrifice for them? Absolutely. We know that Joseph and Mary were not rich. Some people have tried to say because the three kings visited them and gave them frankincense, gold, and myrrh, that they somehow invested that in the stock market of the day and they became rich. Uh, that is not the case. We know that because when they offer a sacrifice here, did you notice what they offered? They didn't offer a ram or a goat or even a lamb. Rather, two turtle doves. Why? Because that was the stipulation. If you were poor, you didn't have to go out and spend your year's salary on a lamb. God said, if you're poor, you can still make a sacrifice. Just use a couple birds. That's what they buy. They're not rich. And yet, even in not making a lot of money, they still sacrifice for God. They still do what God regulated. I just wonder... How many of us joy in doing what God says? Do not slander. Do not gossip. Do not lie. Can I tell you something? Here's where the joy comes in. If you don't lie when somebody says calls you into their office and they talk with you, shut the door, sit down. You're not sweating bullets. If you haven't been talking about people, running other people down, you're not worried when somebody says, hey, I need to tell you something. We need to talk. People say that kind of stuff to me all the time. Sometimes I wonder if they are just trying to scare me or not. Um, If you do what God says, you're not sweating bullets. You're not caught up in keeping up with a lie or some kind of falsity. That's where the joy comes in. You can live life freely and not worry about what other people say about you because you know where your identity is. It's not in them, rather in God. Amen. <laughs> and that's freeing, isn't it? By binding yourself to Christ, you become free. Ever heard that before? By dying to your life, you get life. Holding on to it, you lose it. Again, the best illustration is picking up sand. You build your your life on sand, you pick it up, the more you try to hold it together and squeeze it, the more it comes out. Ever notice that? I've tried to make a sand man. Not a snowman, but a sand man. You you know, you... Nothing. Nothing. Get it wet, try to... It's a disaster. But... Jesus says to build your life upon the rock. The rock being Him and His church. That's where your identity is. Not at work. You get fired, you're not done. You're not done with life. Some people have thought that. You remember when the stock market went down back uh, in the Great Depression? People jumped out of the windows. Why? It's done. It's over. I'm out. That's it. That's, That's my life. Their life was their job. Now, I know that's a temptation here in this area. It's all about work, work, work. And it's great to work. God works. He likes work. (laughs) And yet, it must not become our identity. It must not become our life. It must not become what is ultimate to us. So here are Mary and Joseph. They come and they are newlyweds. And yet they're concerned about doing what is right. They're young parents and they're concerned about doing what is right. Not what they think is right, but what they have found here to be regulating them. 
the statutes of God. And so, this is an encounter here when Jesus is presented. He's only 40 days old. This is 40 days from Christmas. He's 40 days old. He's a little bitty guy, much like Ty. And, you know, he cries. He still needs his mother. Um, And here she hands him over to Simeon who blesses him before God. I mean, what a picture of, of this meeting between old and young. The elderly and the brand new. It's a beautiful encounter, a meeting. It also is an encounter between the Old Testament. Simeon has this promise from God that he will see the new coming. The Messiah coming. And here's the Old Testament meeting the New Testament. Right here in this encounter at the temple. Because Jesus is the reason we have to work through the Old Testament. Some people say, man, the Old Testament is just too much. It's too much law. It's too much killing. It's too much this and that. I'd rather go to the New Testament. Jesus doesn't allow that. He binds the Old Testament to the New and says, that's me. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Go back to why they were even presenting Jesus in the temple. Do you know why? Why why was the firstborn had to be presented? The other ones didn't. The firstborn did. Why? Because of Egypt. Remember how we talked a few weeks back about leaving Egypt? How Jesus actually goes into Egypt as a child and shows us redemption even there? Well, when they were in Egypt, the last plague that really put the nail in the coffin, if you will, of Egypt was to kill the firstborn. Firstborn animal, every firstborn animal, and every firstborn child. Every one of them died in Egypt. The only ones who were spared were those who had a blood atonement over their doorposts, remember? And the angel of the Lord would pass over, hence Passover, that house. And so what God said was, look, from now on, and they're obeying this, from now on, you will sacrifice to me the firstborn of your sheep, of your lambs, of your goats, And, so in other words, you will kill them. But the firstborn child of yours, you will give to God and they will be redeemed. See, this was a picture of redemption. You have to understand, in the Old Testament, there's a bunch of object lessons. Everybody familiar with what an object lesson is? You can see it. It's palpable and yet it teaches you. So, if I say to you, if I, you know, if I were to bring a lamb up here, meh, 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 you know, you're like, oh, cool, look at that little lamb. And everybody's like, oh, how cute. And I say, look, you sinned this week. You did bad stuff that, that hurt God's heart and hurt other people, quite frankly, and hurt yourself ultimately. And you will die because of that sin. But God has made a way for redemption. I take out a blade, shing, right? And I cut the lamb's throat and it bleeds out on the floor and you watch it die and I say, you did that. Now what they would do is put their hands on it. Feel the life leave. And I say, you did that. You don't think that's an object lesson? You're sitting there crying, the kids are crying. That's an object lesson. What is it saying? That sin equals death. You don't like what just happened here? Don't sin. Pretty clear, isn't it? 
Even worse than that, Jesus comes who is God. And He is the Lamb that is slain. Bleeds out in our world because of me. Does that mean anything to you? Better. I'm not telling you what to do, but God is. You don't have to like it, but you better do it. When my dad said fold the clothes, I better do it. Even if I didn't like it. You'll come to find that sometimes you have to do something in order to like it later on down the line. You know how that works. I mean, we fold clothes around our house. We keep our house clean. I don't particularly, you know, just still find a lot of joy in those things. But you know what? When people come over, there's a lot of joy. We have a clean house. You think, man, they have it. Keep, they have four boys and yet they keep it like a motel room over here. You know? It's all clean. Speak and span. And we find joy in inviting people over to our house, to our clean house. There's a joy there. God wants to live in a clean house. Not one made of wood and stone and brick. But in here. You now, Paul says, are, is the, are the temple of God. You're a dwelling place for God. Now He can redeem your sin. He's already done it. Praise be to God. My job does not have me killing animals. That's not what I have to do. That's why I can wear you know, a suit. If I was a priest, I wouldn't be wearing this. I'd be wearing something completely different that would be more like an apron, butcher's apron. Is that what I'm doing today? Why? Because of Jesus Christ. He became the sacrifice. And here He is meeting, encountering the Old Testament in the hands of this old man and with the prayers and praise from this old lady, Anna, who have been waiting expectantly for the Christ child, the Messiah of God, the Savior of the world, and now here He is. And He raises that little baby up, just like Ty, smaller, and He praises God. And here's what He says. He says, He is a light to the Gentiles. That's me! That's you! And He says, and He's also the glory of Israel. Then he turns to Mary. Because they're sitting there saying, man, you know, wow, did you hear what he just said? I mean, you know how when, when somebody says something not about your kid, and you're, oh, he's so beautiful. You're like, right on, right on. You know? <laughs> I used to find it really funny when we had Bo. Bo looks a lot like me. Um, people would come up, you know, Jessica be holding him, whatever, when he's a little baby, and they'd say, he is so beautiful. I mean, he is just, he is so beautiful and perfect. He looks just like you, Marshall. And I say, oh, <laughs> well, thanks. Does that mean I'm beautiful and perfect? <laughs> I'm sure they meant only him and then disconnected it after that point. <laughs> only, he, no, he looks like you, but he's not, nothing like you. So, Here, what is said about Jesus is not just about his looks, but about what he's going to do. He is going to be a light for all people. In other words, He's going to mean something for the world. Now, if that was said about one of my kids, I'd be jumping up and down. Hallelujah! Actually, when I go up and pray for them each night, I ask God to send them out into His world to be used of Him. Why would I say something like that? Do I want my children to move away from me? No. 
But you know what? Just as my dad, my father used to say, I would rather have them serving God on the other side of the world than living next door and going to hell. Again, I ask you, do you want your children to be like Jesus? Because that may mean they go to a Muslim country and give their life. You willing to do that? You willing to pray that? What did Jesus do? Did He hold on to His life? No. No. Do we pray for bad things to happen? Of course not. We pray for protection. Did you know that Mary prayed for protection? Do you know how bad it crushed her heart to see her firstborn son being tortured? The flesh ripped off of him by the cat of nine tails? That whip they would use with bone and glass and rip the flesh off? As he's being spat upon and mocked, and she knows who he really is? As he's walking his cross... as He's stumbling, as He's bleeding out, as the life's leaving Him, as He's being crucified naked in front of everyone to see, you think she didn't pray for protection? And yet, God knew something more than us. Isn't He a good Father? He is, and we must trust Him like that. We don't always understand what happens in this life. I don't claim to. The Bible doesn't tell us why bad things happen, but what it shows us is that Jesus enters into our badness, takes it in Himself. He says, if you're going to suffer, then I will come and suffer with you. He might not give a reason. He might not give an answer, but He ultimately is God's answer. Even if you knew why, it wouldn't help. It wouldn't wouldn't heal. Only Jesus can heal. Only Jesus can help. Only He can reconcile and redeem. (laughs) All in the little package of this little baby boy. Simeon saw it. Why? Because he was led by the... Did you notice that four different times he talked about... He was... The Holy Spirit was upon him. He was there that day because the Spirit led him there. He was in the Spirit. It's like, wow! This guy was Holy Spirit filled. Which is exactly the point. The older among us ought to be led by the Spirit more than us young cats. We need help. We need you to be pillars of faith filled with God's Spirit and wisdom. The marriages here in our church, some of them need help. Most of them need help. If we're honest, all of them need help. We all do. No one is above and beyond failing. We need that, just like in this scene, the older encountering the younger. We need that. We've got some newlyweds among us. And we have some people that are seasoned in marriage. We need that. We need that wisdom. We need those who are led by the Spirit. Here, he turns to Mary and says some things to her about this child. And says to her, even and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Why? Because she'll see that baby that he's holding die. And yet, regain life. Life not just for himself, not resuscitation, but rather resurrection. 
which means good news for me and you. <laughs> you see, are our kids our own or are they God's? Is our body our own or is it God's? One of the most common arguments that you're going to hear out there is, it's my own body, I can do what I want to with it. Sounds like a teenager. And yet 35-year-old people are saying that. It's my body, I do what I want, smoke what I want, do what I want, kill what I want. If we're concerned about God's regulations, Paul says, your body is not your own. Might I repeat that? Your body is not your own. It was from God as a gift to you. You take care of it. You join it to Christ. Paul says, you can't join it to prostitutes or prostitute yourself out to the world. Rather, you are Christ. This is a temple of God. What you do in your body, you do to God's house. So whatever you wouldn't do in church, don't be doing outside of church. Because this is a church. This is a house of worship. Your body is. And then you see Anna, who gives praise to God. This lady who has dedicated herself to God's house, to the temple. Her whole life. Now, she lost her husband. Did you notice that? She was with him for seven years, and she lost him. has been without him. Now she's 84, and has been out with, without him that long. That's a long time to be widowed. And yet what she did was to give herself wholly to God. Sound like Mother Teresa? Absolutely. Sound like Amy Carmichael? Absolutely. Missionary to India. What do we do with our life? Do we give it over to God? When things go south in our life, do we, give, do we just look for whatever, try to find our identity wherever we can grasp? No, we go to God. We go to Jesus Christ. In Him is our identity. We're not going to find it out there in the trees. We're not going to find it up in the heavens. It is Jesus Christ Himself. So I ask you again, in conclusion... In this presentation of Jesus at the temple, do we really want our kids to be like Jesus? Do we really want to be like Jesus? We say yeah, but it's a superficial yeah. I want you to really think about and let the Holy Spirit deal with you in the next few moments about how to be like Jesus. He did not live for Himself he came under all of the rules and regulations of God. You may not like them. You may not understand them. But just like obeying your earthly father, sometimes you have to do it without understanding why. I thought it was the stupidest thing to wash dishes when you're going to eat off them again. Now I know why. After you get really sick because some raw meat was on there, you'll understand why. But until then, will you have faith in Jesus? Will you listen to what He says? Will you do what the Father wants you to do as found here in the Bible? Will you prioritize your life to show forth Jesus Christ rather than your own kingdom? I mean, where are your priorities? I don't know. I don't follow you around all week and that's not my job. I don't plan to. We're not like the NSA, right? I'm not tapping phone calls seeing what you're doing. 
Um, it's not that I don't care. I just I don't care. At the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is with you always. He knows everything about you. He knows if you're being real or not, and He also knows if you are filled with Him or not. You can trick every one of us, but what's the point? You know, it doesn't matter. In the end, it does not matter. Present yourself to God today as a living sacrifice. A living dead thing. You ever caught that before? That's what we're to be as Christians. Living in Christ, but dead to ourselves. Dead to the flesh. Dead to the world. Doesn't mean we don't live in the world. Doesn't mean we don't live in a body. It has to have certain needs and taken care of and all sorts of things. But it means that the body does not control us. The world does not control us. Instead, our core is Jesus Christ. As we go into communion, we're going to go into a time of repentance. And if you're honest, you're the one that stands in the need of repentance. Jesus is probably further from the center of our lives as we'd like to think. But today, He can move closer to that center, closer to the core, and help us obey and love it. And love it. And love Him. Do it because we love Him. Seeing my pappy die was a tough thing. Seeing my dad serve my pappy as he died was a beautiful thing. Taking care of someone when they're dying, you're doing things that you don't enjoy doing. In any other context, you would hate to do them, and yet you do them out of love. Do you love God? Do you love God? Because He loves you more than you can imagine. Amen.